Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspired Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's Word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day. So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspiredchurches.com. Uh, welcome to Inspired Church. This is a great place, a church I deeply love, respect, and admire. And um, I'm just glad you're here today if you're a first-time guest. For all of those of you who are a part of the Inspire family, it is good to see you again. Last time I was here, I gave a message on the topic of scoffers. Don't be a scoffer. And hopefully you guys have been doing well with staying away from being a scoffer. That was, that was kind of a downer message if I remember it last year. This message is going to be, I think, a lot more positive, hopefully. It's going to feel a little bit better in the room. But I am going to continue in your teaching series that you're currently in as a church, this questioning teaching series. Uh, Your leadership has decided that they want to take some weeks to equip you to answer some of the difficult questions that come up from believers, from non-believers. The question over the last couple of weeks that you've been wrestling with is, does God exist? Does God exist? Pastor Philip kicked you guys off, kicked the series off with the cosmological argument for God's existence. If there is an effect, there should be a cause. So God exists because the effect of the world and creation, all of that. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out. Last week, Pastor Roger talked about the argument from morality. Because we have a desire to do good, that must mean there is a a God behind the good that we desire to to do. Once again, great messages. Well, today I'm going to continue in the questioning series, but not build upon the helping you to answer the question, does God exist? But instead, I want to not give you the question just yet. I want to uh, set it up in a, in a, in a, say a couple of things about why the questioning series. I love kind of the catchphrase that's on some of the marketing you guys have. Our heart is that we would know the story so that we could tell the story. You've heard that from this platform over the last several weeks. We want you to know the story of God so you could tell the story, not just so you know it for yourself and and could be a Christian and a Jesus follower who's enlightened by the things of God, but more specifically, so you could be a light in the world. And I want to stop here, and I just want to let you know that that heart from your leadership, Pastor Philip and Roger and Kat and the rest of the team, it comes from a heart that loves you. And I've been around a lot of pastors, and, you know, pastors will in general say that they love their congregation, but sometimes you get around pastors, and you get the sense that they're using their congregation, their church, their church plant as a way to prop up themselves. Uh, I was a victim of doing some of that when I was a church planter in Oakland, using the church for a platform for my name. And I just got to tell you, your pastor, Pastor Philip, that's not why he, he's in this game. That's not why he started Inspire Church. He really does have a heart to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And that's why he's in this series. That's why he's planned it and prepared it. And so I just wanted to 
publicly honor you for your love for your church. You love God and you love God's people. And uh, sometimes when you just see him preach and he does his thing, you could take for granted that the leader of this particular house loves God and loves you. And so can we honor God by honoring Pastor Phil, his wife, the leadership team? Honor you. Honor you. And so I, I just want to come alongside what he and the rest of the team have already been doing. And Pastor Roger, last week, he shared this verse as part of the motivation for the series, helping you answer a question like, does God exist? The verse he shared was from 1 Peter. And Peter writes it this way, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you'll be blessed. And let me, this is like right up on me here. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense. Helping you answer the question, why does God exist, so that you can be prepared to make a defense for why you believe God exists. So if someone was to ask you, why do you believe God exists, you could be prepared to answer the question. Well, today I want to prepare you to ask and answer this question. Here's the tension question. Here's what we're going to look at today. What is your defense for why you believe and trust that the Bible is the divinely inspired word of God. What is your defense for that question? If Peter writes in the scriptures, be prepared, because that's a way that we honor God and show him as holy. How can we honor God and show him as holy by making a defense for why we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God? For those of you who are Jesus followers, Christians in the room, if I was to ask you, why do you believe the Bible is the word of God, what would you tell me? Whether you're a teenager in the room today, uh, unbeliever, 50 years serving the Lord, wherever you are on the spectrum of faith, what would be your answer for why you believe or don't believe that this is indeed the word of God? And Today, I'm going to do my best to share with you why I believe it. Why do I? Filipino kid who grew up in South San Francisco, California, native of the Bay Area, planted a church in Oakland, California, didn't finish college, didn't finish Bible college. Hopefully, you still want to pay attention to what I have to say. But I'm a simple guy. I'm kind of like your pastor. How many know your pastor's a simple man? He's a simple dude. That's why we get along so much. But I'm a simple guy who loves the Lord, who is convinced. But like I have a thinking brain, why do I actually believe that this isn't a fairy tale? Is it because my mommy and daddy took me to church and said this was God's word? Because some of you might say, well, that's what mommy and daddy said. Well, let me tell you, mommy and daddy's faith isn't going to hold up your faith. And at some point, you've got to be able to defend for yourself. And I'm so thankful that 10 years ago, I, I tried Bible college. Come on, somebody. I tried it. <laughs> I sat in a couple classes. I got a couple A's. I just couldn't finish. Um, and I sat in a class and was totally blown away 
uh, by what was shared in that class about why the Bible is the inspired word of God. And I'm going to share some of those simple defenses today. But before I do, some of you, you might not be interested in this. Maybe you're sitting here, you're like, I, I don't care about whether the Bible's the word of God or not. So let me just labor a little bit to try to get you interested in what we're talking about. The first reason why this matters, why I hope you lean in, maybe take some notes, maybe if you were more convinced the Bible was supernatural, maybe you'd have to be less convinced to read it. Ooh. <laughs> okay, I, I'm poking fun, but like I'm kind of not, right? How many of you by a show of hands, you would say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus? Raise your hand, okay? You don't have to lie, just if you, that's you, okay. How many of you would also say, I probably don't read the Bible as much as I should, as much as the Holy Spirit convicts me to. Raise your hand. Come on, okay? And then some of you are lying, and that's okay. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> There's grace for that. There's grace. And let me just out myself. Not only am I an uneducated preacher, right? I don't have the degrees. I'm also a pastor and a preacher who for much of my life has struggled with being consistent in reading God's Word. Like, I know these four claims and these four supernatural reasons that I'm about to give you for why I think this is God's word. But even though I know that, I don't read the Bible as much as I should. And even hurting myself and, and being laid out on the bed. Because we've all said at one point or another, if I had more time, I'd read the Bible. Someone, you said that before. If I just had more time, well, let me just tell you, I have all the time in the world right now. <laughs> I have all the time in the world right now. And on so many occasions, I'm on one of these apps, whatever app, and right next door to whatever app is the Bible app. And that voice of the Holy Spirit will convict me. Wow. Edward, click on to the Bible app and just spend a little time in my word. You're a pastor for crying out loud. Do your job. You get paid to read the Bible. I get paid to read the Bible. This is how I know you don't read the Bible. <laughs> I get paid to read it and I don't read it. And I'm joking, but this is horrible. I'm laid out on the bed over these weeks and instead of reading the Bible, I am playing my free slots game, you know, on the phone. Don't worry, don't have a gambling addiction. Don't, don't worry, but whatever it is for you, I think you can understand. But what if you were convinced that this Bible that we so often ignore was actually supernatural? If you were more convinced it was supernatural, maybe you'd have to be less convinced to, to read it. Now, let me share with you one more reason why I hope you pay attention, just in case if you're not interested yet. I had this thought and I want to share it with you. Spiritual warfare is a hundred times more difficult when you're spiritually malnourished. Many of you who call yourself followers of Jesus, Christians, understand the passage of scripture that says we battle not against flesh and blood, that we are experiencing at every, any given point, not only the physical battles of health and what's going on in the world, politics and COVID, all the different things, there's a physical battle, but there's also a spiritual battle, good versus evil, waging war, and I wonder if some of you are having trouble in the spiritual battles that you're facing in your home, in your relationships, in your finances, maybe your mental health, depression. 
And you're facing hardship in the spiritual battles of this life because you are spiritually unprepared, because you are spiritually malnourished, because you're not full of the bread of life. And as I was preparing this, I don't know, God just gave me this image of how pathetic a malnourished army would be to be able to win a physical war. If we sent our troops out with no food, or worse, we sent them with food, but they just didn't eat it. It was sitting right there, but instead they played Candy Crush on their phone while on the battlefield. How good would be their chances to win? They'd be malnourished, and I'm so thankful. As much as I just outed myself for not reading the word as much as I should, I find myself in a lot of spiritual warfare during this season of my life. Um, so I met Philip originally because I was a church planter in Oakland, and we had mutual friends in church planting world, and we encouraged each other in the hardships and the joys of planting, starting a church in the Bay Area. Well, some of you would remember a couple years ago, God called me from that assignment in Oakland, which I'd been there for eight years, to Las Vegas to take a role at a church in Las Vegas as a pastor over their teaching ministry and a pastor over their prayer ministry. And me and my wife, um, super excited. We left the church that we love. We left the Bay Area, which I was born and raised, 38 years here in this Bay Area, moved everything to Las Vegas. And just this past September, a couple months ago, I resigned. I resigned. It wasn't a good fit. Who I was and how I did ministry didn't fit for the way they were and how they did ministry. We had just bought a home in Las Vegas, putting down roots, and now it's like, Lord, what's going on? We have this home, but we don't have a job in Vegas, so what is going on? Spiritual warfare. Then we come up to the Bay Area to hang out for a little bit as we prepare to look for another job. And I turned 40 years old, and I tried to play basketball. I tried to play basketball and um, get the ball in the low post like I've got the ball in the low post so many times before. Turn around and take a jump shot like I've done so many times before. I missed the jump shot like I've done so many times before. I land, and I'm fine when I land. But when I turn to run back up the court, I hear this pop, feel this pop in my lower left leg. I feel like someone kicked me in my leg. I look back, I'm like, who would kick me? That's so rude, and no one was there. Why? Because I tore my Achilles, totally tore my Achilles, and had to have surgery. Lord, what's going on? Because now I can't get on the plane to interview for some jobs. Spiritual warfare, and then before my surgery, getting out of the shower, and for whatever reason, combination of the leg and blood vessels and all the stuff, I faint. I faint in my wife's arms, and I come out and conscious again, and I faint again, and for like seven to ten seconds, she's like, Edward, open your eyes, don't do this to me. It's like traumatic. Has to call 911, get taken to the hospital. By God's grace, everything's fine, but spiritual, what's going on? Go to get my surgery, and right before I go to get my surgery, my wife finds out that her mom is having some health complications. She has to fly to tech. Okay, so it's not about me. The point is 
spiritual warfare. What's going on? I know I'm not the only one. What is going on in my life? And I'm so thankful that during these times, because I have God's word hidden in my heart, there is a fight that I have. There is a, a winning that I feel where I can have joy in the Lord despite my circumstances. Not because I'm a preacher guy. I don't have any special juju on me because I'm some pastor. It's because over time, the word of God has been so hidden in my heart that when I need to declare, he will work all things out for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. When I need to declare, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Because I have God's word hidden in my heart, I don't feel malnourished to fight the spiritual warfare that is upon me. And I just wonder, Inspire Church family, if you feel yourself tired and weary and unable to stand up to the lies of the enemy and the attacks of the enemy and the test of the Lord, maybe it's because you don't have enough of this bad boy hidden in your heart. Too much social media. Too much Fox News, if that's you. Too much CNN, if that's you. And everything else in between. Too much YouTube, if that's you. No condemnation, but my goal here today is to sell you on why this is the word of God, not just so you could defend it and argue for why it's the word of God, but so that you could have the sword of the spirit tucked in your sheath, tucked in your hip, so when the lies come, you could fight. So how many of you want some tools to fight? Say amen. That was weak. That was weak. If you're ready, say I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Four defenses. Everyone say four. Put them up there on the screen. Four defenses. Why does this simple, uneducated pastor believe that this is the word of God? Well, I see some supernatural claims. I'm going to talk to you about supernatural coherence, supernatural conservation, and supernatural coincidences. Four arguments. And when I was presented these arguments about 10, 11 years ago, I was floored. And so I'm going to just do my best to present those, these arguments to you. I got to say, this isn't thorough. This isn't robust. Like, I don't do this for a living, debate people about why the Bible is the word of God. I'm a simple, regular dude who's just trying to share with you why I would believe in 2022 that some old, ancient book is actually God's word. The first is supernatural claims. First, I believe the Bible is God's word because what the Bible says about itself, okay? Um, it's not the strongest argument, but Paul, writing to his understudy, his, you know, Yoda teaching Obi-Wan Kenobi type situation, Timothy, this is what he tells Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture is breathed out by God is what the word says. Theonustos is the Greek word for breathed out by God. Theo, God, noustos, breathed. God breathed. This isn't something that man made up. God breathed these words. Peter echoes these sentiments in his letter. He writes this, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. 
These guys didn't just make this stuff up. Instead, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So you have these men who wrote these manuscripts, these books, not out of their own knowledge, but by the leading of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would reveal to them the words of God. So I believe that the Bible is God's word because God's word says it. There are passages that say it, but in addition to the supernatural claims, the phrase, the Lord said, or God said, appears 3,500 times in the Bible. The Lord said, why do I believe that this book is divinely inspired? Because 3,500 times someone wrote down, God said this. As early as Genesis, come on, you're familiar with it, Genesis 1, 3. And God said, it's the very first God said, let there be light and there was light. So what happened? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Moses, because just Moses wasn't there when God said, let there be light, just so you know. Moses didn't hear him and then be like, ooh, that was good. That was, you know. No. Sometime after humans were created, Moses comes onto the scene. The Holy Spirit of God reveals to Moses, this is how the world began. God said, let there be light. So one of two things is true. That's what actually happened or Moses is lying. God never said, let there be light. He was just sitting around one day and said, let me just make up the story of the world. Hmm, God said, let there be light, which is completely possible, okay? But this happens 3,500 times. And so let's go to the very end of the Bible, the book of Revelation. When John now, the apostle John, who writes the book, Creatively entitled, John in the New Testament, one of the disciples. He's having a vision of the end times. And in this vision, look what he writes. He who was seated on the throne, and God said, he who was seated on the throne, spoiler alert, that's God, said, behold, I'm making all things new. And he also said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Okay, only one of two things is possible. John was like on a trip. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> he wrote it down, or he actually was in a vision, heard from God. So here's what I want to say to you. From front to back, all throughout the scriptures, and the Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord either either said these things, or this book is full of more lies than any other book in the world. Because these guys wrote on 3,500 3, different occasions, the Lord said something when he actually did it. So let me just help you. If you don't think this is the divinely inspired word of God, you shouldn't read it. It's a waste of your time. This is either a word, this is either the word of God or it's trash. There's nothing in between. Um. Just a little aside, it's the same thing with Jesus. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's God. There's no other choice, friend. Why would you say he's a liar? Because he said he was God. So he's either a liar because he said he was God and he's not God, 
Or he's either crazy because, like, he doesn't know whether he's God or not. He's just saying it. I'm God. I'm God. I'm God. I'm the son of man. Or he's actually God. But there's no place like, oh, he's a good moral teacher. No, 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 because he, he's either a, a liar, which is not a good teacher. He's crazy, which is not a good teacher. Or he's God. You guys following me? Yeah. So that's the case with Jesus. It's also the case with the Bible. So why do I, a simple Filipino kid, 30, 40 years, 30, I want to be 30 still, 40 <laughs> years old, growing up in the Bay Area, believe that this is the word of God? Because God either said something 3,500 times or he didn't say nothing at all. Okay, so that's the first argument. Maybe you're not so convinced of that argument. Let me talk about supernatural coherence. So those were the claims. The Bible claims it's the word of God 3,500 times. They're claiming, they're speaking on behalf of God. Coherence. This is an exciting argument. Let me give you some facts about the Bible. It was comprised and brought together and written over the course of 1,600 years. This is history, friends. 1,500 years before Christ... Before he was born, 1500 years BC, 1500 BC to 100 AD. That's 1600 years the books in this library of books were written. Revelation was written about 90 AD. That was the last book of the Bible that was written, 90 years after the birth of Christ. So, 1500 years it took to put this thing together. It's made up of 66 books Genesis through Revelation, 35 to 40 authors. Why don't you know the exact amount? Because there's several authors that authored the Psalms. We don't know who authored Hebrews. 35 to 40 authors. Seven genres. You know, uh, like in music, there's different genres. There's hip-hop, there's pop, there's rock, country. Well, in the Bible, there's different genres of writing. There's historical narrative like Genesis, the history of the world, the history of the Israelite nation. There's the book of Acts, which is the Acts of the Apostles. So there's history, there's poetry, there's the Psalms, there's the Gospels, and those are the, the writings about Jesus' life. There's the letters, the epistles, there's the apocalyptic writings, Revelation. So seven different genres written on three continents. This book was written by people on Africa, Asia, and Europe. And so who cares, Ed? What have, here's the big idea. 1,600 years, 66 books, 35 to 40 authors, seven genres, three continents, and it tells one story. Wow. How is that possible? Wow. Think about this. If I handed a piece of paper to everyone in this room right now and I said, write a story, what would the chances be that we would write a coherent story from start to finish? One in a zillion. And we are in the same room, in the same continent, at the same time. These guys were spread out over this many years, three continents, seven genres, and it tells one story. What's that story? It's the story of creation. It's the story of the fall of man. It's the story of redemption through the person of Jesus Christ. And it's the story of reconciliation. One day, we're going to be united to God in heaven. That's the story, creation all the way to reconciliation. And what is the Easter egg that's all throughout every single book of the Bible? Jesus. That's supernatural. Now, I, when I got this information, I was like, man, that, that seems like it has God's fingerprints on it. 
I said, let's look at the other holy books that are out there. The other books that people deem is like, yep, that's, that's the word of God. Like, let's look at the Quran. And let's just look at the facts around the putting together of the Quran, the holy book of the nation of Islam, the religion of the Muslims. The Quran was written over 23 years. A.D. 610, 7th century to about A.D. 32, 33 it's one book with chapters and verses written by one author, Elijah Muhammad, written in one continent. He was right there in Asia, in Saudi Arabia, in Mecca and Medina. And he wrote under what he calls is the inspiration of God, the words of God. That's the Quran. Let's look at the Book of Mormon. The Mormons are led and guided by a book that was written over the course of two years, 1829, 1830, 15 books. And these are all the different prophecies that supposedly Joseph Smith, he was out in the woods and, and he heard these prophecies and Joseph Smith at 17 years old in the New Jersey, New York area wrote these things down. He dictated his dreams and these prophecies. And this book was published in the 1830s. Now, there's no disrespect to these other religions. But as a simple guy, I look at these books and keep in mind, these books, the Quran and the Book of Mormon, all quote the Bible. The Bible don't quote any other book. The Bible quotes God. And so when I look at it, okay, which one of these looks to be the supernatural work of God, having the supernatural hand of God, versus one man wanting to propagate ideas that he had, I see the Bible as seeming to me being the, the more supernatural book than these other two. So that's the argument from coherence, continuity. Uh, let's go to conservation. Is this helping anybody so far? Okay, I hope this is equipping you. If someone was to ask you tomorrow now, man, you read that Bible, why do you think that that's the word of God? Bro, let me tell you. Look what it says about itself. Look how coherent it is and look how it was put together. Now, if you don't like those arguments, let me give you the argument from conservation, preservation. Um, so, you know, uh, we don't have any original copies of the scripture, right? Um, so when Moses does write the book of Genesis, when he does write the book of Exodus, retelling the story of the nation of Israel, we don't have the original parchment paper that he wrote it on. So how did we get what we get today? Well, copies manuscripts at some point that first original had to be copied and then copied and copied over and over again and then not only copied because the original language that the scriptures were written in were was hebrew much of the old testament in hebrew much of the new testament greek we have to then translate it so how can i trust that this what you have the app on your phone is accurately copying and translating what was originally written by 
Moses and John and Malachi and Micah and all of these guys. Well, I want to talk to you about scribes and scrolls. Now I know, it's like we feel like we're in school right now. It's like, what's going on? Well, this is, this is equipping time. I'm hopefully teaching to your head so that a few minutes when I preach to your heart, there'll be some connection. Say amen. amen. And so, scribes and scrolls. These were the guys who were given the responsibility, had the duty of copying the scriptures. Scribes. And they had crazy routines and crazy procedures to make sure that what they were writing was accurate. One of them is called gematria. Everyone say gematria. Gematria. We're really jumping into the weeds now. How many of you guys love the weeds? Someone say amen. Yeah. We're just jumping in. Okay. Gematria. Gematria is where, okay, so let's take Hebrew for example, and you're writing out the Hebrew version of Exodus. And okay, it has these characters in Hebrew. Gematria means they would assign a numerical number to every character of Hebrew. That way at the end of a page, there would be a numerical value to that page. Does that make sense? A numerical value to the page because every character had a number. So the numerical value of the page was all the numbers added up. Well, if the copy did not have the same numerical value as what was being copied, they'd have to throw that copy out and start all over. How many of you would say that would suck? Like you get down and that number's 289 and this is 292. Oh, no! Got to start all over, and that's what they would do. Gematria. Then there was this device called middle word. Everyone say middle word. Middle word. What that would do is they'd identify, okay, you're writing it out in Hebrew. You're copying out all the words that Moses wrote, and you identify this middle word, the center word on the page. Well, when you made the next copy, if you wrote it all out, and the Middle word on this page wasn't the middle word on this page. That means you made a mistake somewhere. So you have to throw it out and start all over again. Can you imagine if your gematria was correct, but your middle word was wrong? I'd give that finger the middle, the, the page, the middle. Yeah, that I'd be upset. There'd be some middle wording going on. <laughs> Sorry, I'm barely saved. I'm barely saved. Just like your pastor. Barely. We're barely getting in. Um... So there were actual devices, actual devices and processes to ensure accuracy. How many of you are thankful for accuracy in the word of God? This isn't something that, and this is just what I'm saying. A lot of people, oh, you guys are just full of faith and you believe anything and you're so gullible. No, our faith is based in reason. Our faith is based in things and processes and events that actually happen. Now, if you don't like scribes, let me talk to you about scrolls. Scrolls. What are scrolls? Scrolls are the uh, copies of these manuscripts. And what I want to do right now is just put up on the page, on the screen, a chart. Like Google this. This isn't a chart in the Bible. Just Google this. This is popular works of history that we all in colleges and high school We don't question their authenticity. We don't question whether it is what was originally wrote. How many of you have ever read or heard about Homer's Iliad? Okay, the Iliad and the Odyssey. And if you see here, it was written 800 BC, 800 years before Christ. And the first copy, the first portion of a physical copy that we actually have today is dated at 400 BC. 
What does that mean? There was 400 years between the time when Homer wrote the Odyssey or the Iliad and when we have the first copy. And how many copies do we have? 1,757 copies. Not bad. Obviously, right, what I want to show in this chart, the more copies you have, the better. That's probably a sign that it's more accurate. And probably the time gap between when the original was written to when the first copy, the shorter that time gap is, probably ensures a more accurate manuscript as well. Are you guys with me? If you're with me, say I'm with you. Okay. So we've got Herodotus's work, Plato's work. And you take a look, okay, 900 AD earliest manuscripts, over 1,300 year time gap, 100 copies, 210 copies. But we look at these other works of history and we're like, those are legit. Well, look at the New Testament. It was written between 50 to 95 AD, right? And this this is history, this makes sense. Jesus starts B.C., So about 33 BC is when Jesus dies, rises from the dead, ascends into heaven, about 33 BC, and you can see from 50 to 95 AD, about 20 years after the resurrection of Christ, till about 95 AD, people are writing down the events following the life of Jesus, 50 to 95 AD. The earliest copies of those original manuscripts are 40 years, 40 years from the time. And how many portions of copies do we have? Almost 6,000. Some of you, you're getting lost in the sauce right now. You're like, so what's going on? What I'm trying to say is it looks like something supernatural has had its hand over the conservation and preservation of this book that we hold in our hands, this library of books. I didn't do this in the other service, and I'm running out of time, but it's the 11 o'clock service, and so I just want to do one more thing, because uh, some of you may think, wait a minute, like, 40 years between, like, how can we trust, like, I don't know about you, but I, tr- I, it's hard, like, oral history, that whole idea of, like, stories were told and then maintained, like, something had to go wrong along the way, like, this idea of, like, oral traditions before it was finally written down, but... I'm going to start a little uh, poem or something like that. And if you know it, just start along with me. Are you with me? Okay, I'm going to start. Don't leave, me, don't leave me up here hanging, okay? <laughs> nice and loud, nice and proud. Here we go. Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack came down and broke his crown, and Jill came tumbling after. Wow. We all got that. Did you know, now, now let me, well, first of all, did you ever see whoever originally wrote that, did you ever see the original piece of paper that he wrote it on? No. You heard it from someone who heard it from someone who heard it from someone who heard it from someone. Did you know when that bad boy was written? Jack and, okay, yeah, a couple guesses. Come on, 11 o'clock, let's have fun. When was Jack and Jill written? 1890. 1700s, yeah. 1791. Wow. Jack and Jill was written in 1791. And the only difference between our Jack and Jill and their Jack and Jill, their Jack and Jill, the Jill was spelled G-I-L-L and not J-I-L-L. 
I share that story just to hear the idea of oral tradition and oral history being handed down with accuracy isn't so far-fetched when we're singing Jack and Jill accurately to the word 300 years after it was actually written. I don't know. I just kind of nerd out on stuff like that. Let me put this quote up by this theologian. We're getting ready to shut this down. Put simply, if someone seeks to eliminate the trustworthiness of the New Testament, then to be consistent, they would also have to dismiss virtually the entire canon of Western literature and pull everything from Homer to Plato to Aristotle off of bookstore shelves and out of classroom discussions. The transmission process of scripture is without peer. Without peer. So for all of you guys, smart guys, and I believe in the science, and okay, fair enough. There is more science behind the transmission of this book than any other book or work of history on the face of this planet. And that's the young kids. That's, that's just facts. That's facts. The young kids, right? No cap. No, no cap. I'm trying way too hard at 40 years old. I get it. I get it. So here we go. Claims, coherence, conservation. That's why a simple guy like me. Simple guy, why do you believe? And if, and if you don't believe in this is God's word, then how do you explain the claims? Then how do you explain the coherence? Then how do you explain the conservation? See, I have an explanation for why I believe this is God's word. What's your explanation for why it's not? How do you talk back to these things? And the scripture said, do it with gentleness and respect. So gently, respectfully, what would you say? And I just want to talk about one last thing, supernatural coincidences. Coincidences in quotes for a reason. What I'm talking about here is prophecies. In the scriptures that you have at home on your phone, over 2,500 prophecies were written. What's a prophecy? That something is going to happen. This is when a nation is going to rise. This is when a nation is going to fall. This is when a king is going to be called. This is when a king is going to fall. This is how this is going to happen. This is how this is going to happen. That is a prophecy. And do you know, as of date, out of the 2,500 prophecies or so that have been written, around 2,000 of them have been fulfilled. A prediction of the future. Let me show you one. Micah, 700 years before the birth of Christ. Micah, an Old Testament prophet. He wrote these words. But you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, this is bananas. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Micah, 700 years before the birth of Christ, sat down, took out some parchment paper, took out his little whatever they used, and had this thought. Bethlehem is the place where the ruler of Israel is going to be born. That was either one heck of a lucky guess. Because 700 years later, Matthew, the former tax collector, as he would write down an account of Jesus' life, look what Matthew would write. 
Now, after Jesus was born where? In Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. O little town of Bethlehem. We're singing the song in 2022, but 700 years before Jesus was born there, a prophet named Micah foretold it. And there are 2,000 other prophecies that have been fulfilled, that were fulfilled either in the New Testament or have been fulfilled. Ah, simple guy like me <laughs> believes, wow, 2,000 out of 2,500, and here's what I want to say next. I think we should pay attention to what some of those other 500 are. Come on, somebody. If 500 have yet to be fulfilled, how many of you would agree they're probably going to be? (laughs) So can I share one of them with you (laughs) so that you could be aware? Matthew, the same author, writing an account of Jesus' life. He hears Jesus teaching. And look at what Jesus says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory... He's prophesying. He's foretelling the future. And all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people, one from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. What Jesus was talking about here is the end times. The son of man is going to return. Jesus will return. And he's going to separate sheep from goats. What are those? Believers from non-believers. Sheep are the people who know the voice of the Lord and listen to his voice. They serve the poor and the hungry and the oppressed. As you did it unto the least of these, you did it unto me, Jesus says. And then look at what he says just a few verses later. Then they, the goats who didn't feed the poor, who didn't care for the vulnerable, who didn't call on the name of the Lord, they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Why do I bring that prophecy by Jesus up in particular here today? Because if you're not a follower of Jesus, if there's never been a point in your life where you've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin and made him the Lord of your life, I'm not here to scare you. I'm not here to threaten you. I'm not here to put you in a corner. I'm here to say, we do not know the time or the place when the Son of Man is going to return. And when he does, he says he will separate the sheep from the goats and the goats will go away to eternal punishment. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ today, if you're unsure, as soon as this service is over, talk to Pastor Philip. Talk to one of the volunteers. Say, man, not out of fear, not out of obligation, but I think God is trying to get my attention. I think the God of all creation is trying to draw me to himself. And I don't want to experience a life apart from God in eternity, a Christless eternity. Maybe today is the day of salvation for you. So, the beautiful, the beautiful music's playing. It's time to wind this thing down. Why do I believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God? Because I believe the claims in it are supernatural. 
God breathed 3,500 times and the Lord said, I either believe this whole thing is the truth or I must discard it as a lie. The coherence, it blows me away. 1,600 years, 66 authors, seven genres, three continents, one story. I'm a simple guy. Something tells me I think God's behind that. The way this thing has been preserved, why are there so many more manuscripts than any other work of antiquity, any other work of a history? Maybe because God's behind it? 2,000 prophecies down to the very place that Jesus would be born. Here's a sermon in a sentence. Why do I believe that the Bible is God's word? I seriously trust that the Bible is God's word because it seems to simple me to be supernaturally put together by God's hands. I believe it's God's word because the history, the facts point to supernatural hands behind it. So that's me. What say you? Is this God's word? Hopefully there's some of you today who are more convinced that it's God's word than you've ever been before. And if you are, I want to encourage you in three ways. One, duh, no brainer. Pursue God in his word this week. See, after putting a message together like this, preaching a message like this now for the second time, come on, isn't there something in you? I think I should open this thing up, man. That thing seems like it's more than just a thing. That thing seems like, man, that thing might be divine and I need to meet the God who put that library together. So I encourage you this week, Don't worry that it's been three months. For some of you, it's been years. And you come in just hoping Pastor Philip can't read it on your face that you ain't read the Bible in Echelon. Getting it this week. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. And your heavenly Father wants to meet you in his word this week. But remember... What's the tagline these days around Inspire? Know the story so we can what? Tell the story. So expose someone to his word on this Thanksgiving week. Sit down with someone, with your kids. Read the Bible. We've gotten too much into these arguments. Here's what I believe. I'll watch this video. Just let the word do the work. And that the Holy Spirit of God, the word says that this word is sharper than a two-edged sword. And we're keeping it right here. And we're sending people to YouTube videos. You're trying to convince your kids that God is good and loving. And you're talking, talking, talking all the while. You got the word. Read your word to the kids. Read the word to your kids. Read the word to your spouse. Read the word to your unbelieving friend. Sit down and say, look, man, let's just read this story about Jesus. Expose this to someone. And then finally, 
Worship God for his word. Today, this week, because I got to tell you, if you leave here and the main thing that you leave thinking is, oh, I got to read my Bible. I feel so bad I haven't read my Bible. That's not the good news. <laughs> That's not gospel. The gospel isn't, isn't that the Bible is God's word. Do you know that? The gospel, the good news of Christianity isn't that the Bible is God's word. The good news of Christianity is that in his word, we learn about his son, Jesus, who came, who lived a perfect sinless life, who was the word in flesh. Let me take you to the book of John as we close. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And what we'll celebrate here, Christmas time, and the word became flesh. How many of you are thankful that God just didn't give us physical words? God gave us a person and his name is Jesus. And he came and he lived that sinless life. He died the death that we should experience. He experienced the separation from God that we should experience. And if we place our faith in him, we are forgiven for every time we didn't read God's word. His blood was shed for every time we trusted our words over his words. But we don't only experience forgiveness, we experience righteousness. My right standing with God isn't based on how many times I read the Bible. My right standing with God is based on Jesus' right standing with God. And Jesus is fully accepted by God. And so when I place my faith in Jesus, I'm fully accepted by God. If I never read the Bible another day in my life, I'm still going to spend eternity with Jesus. Why? Because I'm covered in his righteousness. But if I'm covered in that righteousness, don't I want to get to know the God who gave me Jesus? So we're going to worship as we close. There's no other way to, I, I, I would have just totally failed if you don't by this time. I hope you're thinking, Edward, just shut up. I want to worship God for giving me his word, for giving me his son. On this Thanksgiving week, I want to have gratitude for his word and for his son revealed in his word and for the spiritual eyes to see that I needed a savior. One final prophecy I want to bring up is when the writers of Scripture write, there will be one day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The name of Jesus in one day is going to be lifted up by every tongue, by every knee. So instead of waiting till that day, why don't we take this day Praise God for his goodness, his love, his mercy. Let me pray for you as I close. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I know a message like this can fall in a lot of different places. Hopefully there are some who are really, truly just more convinced, more persuaded that there's a reasonable defense for the Bible being the word of God. Lord, I pray that that would be true. But more than that, Lord, I pray that there would be a desire and 
those of us who identify as Jesus followers, Lord, that we need your word. Maybe, God, there's some here, they identify with that earlier part of the message that they're spiritually malnourished. They're facing spiritual warfare in their marriage with raising their children, with their health, with responding to their financial situation, and they don't have the word of God hidden in their heart, so they feel powerless to fight the battle that rages within. God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would bring people in this room, listening online, to a desperate need for the truth of your word. That during this week, Lord, that your word would bring them life and joy and rescue. God, I pray for those who don't know you in this place. Goats. Lord, I pray that you would convict them. I pray that you would save them and draw them to yourself as the loving God that you are. Finally, I just pray for Inspire Church, this church that I love so much. This family of faith that I admire so much. God, would you make this place a family of faith that loves the word of God, reads the word of God, cherishes the word of God, and because they do, they know God, see God, love God, and because they do, they love others. Pray for all the years to come that Inspired Church would be known as a house that cherishes the word of God, that the people be full of the bread of life for all time, Lord. Bless this house with every fiber of faith in my bones. God, I pray that you would bring supernatural blessing on this house in the season that is ahead for them. Use them to inspire people to follow you here and beyond for many years to come. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Let's lift up the name of Jesus together. He's worthy of our praise.